One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast, brought to you by summersf1.co.uk, making F1 tech easier to understand. Today's episode is called Hungry for More. I'm your host, Chris Rainbow Sparkle Stevens, and I am joined by Matt Turpitz. What's going on, Matt? All right. Not a bad job there, my friend. This is getting to be a bit of a habit, isn't it? Well, I would hope so. I would hope so. Uh, and if you want to hear me doing more of this stuff, check out Lean Angle Podcast. I managed to get a plug within the first minute of the show. I'm so happy. Uh, this week, we take a look at F1 news. We cover some F1 tech with Summers and we preview the Hungarian Grand Prix and make some bold predictions for the race. For those of you just finding us, we are an independent podcast hosted by mistapexpodcast.com we aim to bring you a race review before your monday morning commute we might be wrong but we're first this show is safe for work we are keeping it clean here so you can play this with the kids in the background or at work right let's bring on our guest for today it is matt summers summerfield what's going on hey guys how you doing yeah all good all good i mean it's great yeah it's great to have you back on the show summers Thanks, man. It's been a, a few weeks away, but uh, I'm glad to be back on the horse. Yeah, plenty of stuff uh, to talk about, including the controversial Halo, but we will uh, catch up uh, with you and that a little bit later on. Before that, we are going to say hello to the live stream. Hello, live stream. And if you want to join us on the live stream, you can find Missed Apex Podcast on YouTube and hit that subscribe button and you get a little notification every time we go live. But for now... We're going to get on with the show. Big Dirty News. We've had some tyre testing, haven't we, Matt? We've had uh, Charles Leclerc in the uh, Ferrari, uh, Giovinazzi uh, doing some stuff for for Haas, I believe, all testing tyres. McLaren, they've been doing some uh, wet tyre testing at Magnicore. It's all been going on. Yeah, well, I, I'm afraid I've confused you a bit because I just pasted all the news into one big blob there. Uh, Leclerc is going to get a test with Ferrari later. But as far as the tire testing, that was done by three teams, uh, Williams, Haas, and McLaren. And Williams and Haas were at Silverstone Tuesday, Wednesday. And Giovinazzi did indeed test for Haas, which is interesting given that Haas has just reconfirmed its driver lineup for next year, including both Grosjean and K-Mag, meaning where exactly he might be headed, it becomes an open question if you're being nice about it. And the big news about McLaren is they tested A, at Magni Cores, wets and enters, and B, they managed to run without breaking down, at least to any article I could find's knowledge. 
that's that's something isn't it that's got to be some sort of breakthrough like maybe since like that last day of testing in barcelona where they where they managed to run for the whole um day yeah of course the as you mentioned getting a post-hungary uh test which will be really interesting the f2 hot shot that's going to be really interesting um to to see but just to kind of go back on to um the tire testing we'll talk about uh Haas and their the drivers in just a minute i mean summers was there anything interesting out of that tire testing or is it is it quite a, a formality uh because you know t- it's testing it's not massively interesting but was there was there anything we should have been keeping our eye on there not particularly, no. It's kind of all down to run plans. So obviously Pirelli are really looking to to investigate where they go with next season's tyres. Um, it's interesting, obviously, that they've gone to Magni Cor with McLaren to do some wet weather testing because as we know that that track can be wetted. Um, so, yeah, it, it's just a, really a, a case of uh, ticking some boxes, um, making sure that the 2017 cars uh, are, are respected this time around, as obviously the previous tyres were made with the mule cars. So it's more about reference points, etc. for Pirelli. Yeah, because I suppose right up until pre-season testing, they didn't have any properly accurate data for their tyres. And maybe that's why we've ended up with uh, the scenario where we're in now, where maybe the tyres are just a bit too conservative i mean i like the the durability that they have but uh they they it does need to have that that wider operating window as the teams and the drivers keep referring to perhaps yeah and i think unfortunately we're in a situation where one of the compounds isn't really up to anything and and i don't think we'll see the hard tire again for the rest of the season so yeah it's more down to the fact that they want to to get some more representative data um and build a better tire for next season yeah, because the yeah the hard tire isn't being used for the next uh, for the rest of the season, and the medium is barely being used. Um, so they do need to kind of work that out. We're always seeing the super softs and the ultra softs at most of uh, the races. Matt, yeah, I I'm going to ask based on the testing that you've seen or the way testing works. Do you think we could see a return to more traditional, more traditional race tire pressures uh, next season because they've been fairly high ever since the Ferrari disaster at Spa a couple of years ago. Do you think that's part of Pirelli's plan here? I think so. They've been relatively conservative uh, for this season because they know that they didn't have representative cars. The mule cars gave them a basis on which to develop for for this year's tyres, but it was never going to give them the full answer. And now they have a lot of that data to work from, and we're starting to see a lot of development come through. We're talking about a lot more load this year compared to what we're used to in going into these tyres. And so, yeah, I I really would hope that Pirelli are looking at reducing those tyre pressures is something that's more suited to a racing tyre than perhaps the road tyre kind of pressures we've seen so far. Okay, well, let's talk a little bit about uh, K-Mag and Grosjean then, because Gene Haas did come out and say that it is inevitable that we will retain our drivers for next season. So that's nothing certainly official. So maybe there is still maybe a little bit of room for some play in there, perhaps, but Gene Haas seems quite uh, determined to keep his drivers for next season. Um, are we surprised by that? Because Leclerc and Giovinazzi, there's been a lot of rumours about those two and where they might end up for next season. And Haas seems like a logical point for them uh, as to Ferrari development drivers. Yeah, it, it does seem like a very, very obvious move for Ferrari to insist that one of their junior drivers wind up at Haas. And, and Giovinazzi, if I'm not entirely mistaken about this, is already the reserve driver at Haas. But I think we're getting into a more fundamental problem with Formula One, which is relative to the rising talent, there is a very limited number of seats being occupied by people who have increasingly long careers. And that you may, may might want to go back to Schumacher to look at someone who just really discovered that by being in shape and taking care of oneself that you could extend what I guess you'd say before then was traditionally a much shorter career. And I don't know the answer to that. I'm going to say Super Formula or DTM for one or both of them, possibly Formula E. You know, um, I don't know what kind of interest Ferrari has shown in Formula E off the top of my head, but I certainly know Mercedes seems to be putting in for season five. So you you could potentially see some drives there. And then there's always the old standby of WEC as well. 
But is that fair on Leclerc and Giovinazzi, especially somebody like Leclerc, who is just dominating the Formula 2 field for him to not immediately come up to, to Formula 1? Because he can't stay in F2. As a champion, you can't stay in F2. And that's exactly the position that Pierre Gasly has found himself in, won the championship last year, and is now waiting around, basically, in Super Formula to, to get an F1 seat. It's exactly what Stoffel van Dorn had to put up with last year. So is, is Leclerc heading the same way? Well, I think as a as a safety valve, yeah. But then you could also look at Sauber, who are now officially without engine again. If they wind up with Ferrari, it could be that Pascal Verline loses out in the game of Formula One chairs, and Leclerc winds up next to Ericsson instead. Although I can't see Ericsson being happy about that, as frankly, I rate Leclerc incredibly highly. And if there's anyone who's come up in about the last five years that deserves a Formula One drive, it would appear to be him. Yeah, it certainly seems to be the case. Very popular uh, young guy. But does it seem like, you know, it, we're all waiting on Sauber, basically, to announce that engine uh, to see if they're still going to be partnered with Ferrari, where these two drivers may end up. Summers, do you want to get in there? Yeah, I just uh, really wanted to talk about Raikkonen, because at the end of the day, is his seat safe? And are Ferrari prepared to take a leap? Um, that That's an interesting dis- discussion, especially considering that they have nowhere else to put their drivers at the moment. Well, if they want to keep Vettel for this three-year deal that they've offered him, then they have to keep Raikkonen, apparently, because this is kind of the terms and conditions of Sebastian Vettel. And do Ferrari seem like the kind of team that they would throw a youngster into their into their big seat? Because they don't seem like that sort of team to me. Well, it's not really been form for them. Um, but... Yeah, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because Raikkonen is clearly not on the same level as as Vettel is, and he is in the twilight of his career. But Ferrari have put themselves in a difficult position because where do they go? Grosjean signed for for, um, Haas, by all accounts. So is it a trade-off? You know, Grosjean's really wanting that seat and has been for a long time, and he could be a a decent fit if Haas get what, what they want out of a deal. Well, but it's also kind of down to Vettel, who has been putting off signing his extension because he wants Raikkonen next to him because he feels more comfortable with Raikkonen, I would assume, or that they work together better for the benefit of the team would be his argument. And that that is a sticking point. As long as Raikkonen is there, nobody's going much of anywhere. Well, Raikkonen to Vettel is just the perfect teammate, isn't he? I mean, he's slower than him, you would say but still brings home solid points for the team for when, you know, things don't go his way. Raikkonen's still there getting points for the constructors sometimes. He's not maybe as strong a number two as somebody like Valtteri Bottas, although I feel bad calling Valtteri Bottas a number two driver these days. Well, I would argue um, certainly at Silverstone, Raikkonen had the better of it. And I would say if you look at the strategy he's been stuck with, For the most part, he's pretty much held his own against Vettel, more so than it appears by the results or in the media. His qualifying performances haven't quite been up to Vettel's um, standards. Maybe maybe just qualifying isn't Raikkonen's strength. He always just seemed to be more of a Sunday guy, especially in his uh, days at Lotus uh, as well. But you know, you 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 really think that you know, in a proper fair fight where Ferrari maybe allow Raikkonen a, a half decent strategy, he would come up with uh, the better results on on occasion. Well, he just did at Silverstone, uh, and and I will point out that when Vettel was on his outlap, he was unable to make any progress against Raikkonen to the point where. He was shut down from behind by the approaching Botas. Was he not, you know, he was stuck behind Max Verstappen for half the race, though, wasn't he? So that was surely the the be-all and end-all of that one. Yeah, but when you look at him coming out on, on his on his uh, tires, he had a five-second gap to Raikkonen that just did not change well, at it's a, all. It's a good job and it didn't, Raikkonen really. Raikkonen was on much older tires. Well, if, it, if, it, if he had managed to bring that gap down then how much earlier would his tyre have gone? Now, there's an interesting question for us all. You know what? I've said it backwards. When Raikkonen pitted um, and and was ahead of Vettel, that's what I was referencing. Apologies. I've not really been studying the Silverstone race in preparation for Hungary. No, that's absolutely fair enough. Um, so do, do we have any more thoughts on the Haskers? We haven't talked so much about Giovinazzi, perhaps, because after those first two races that he did in Australia and China in place of Pascal Verlein at Sauber, 
uh, we were we were pretty much rooting for him. You know, like sign this guy up. He did a fantastic job in those uh, two races. Uh, and we know that he's a very talented racing driver, took that championship battle for the GP2 title against Gasly right up to uh, the final race in, in Abu Dhabi. So do we think he's worthy of an F1 seat right now? Where would he go? I think that's the problem, though, isn't it? It's the conundrum that Ferrari face because of who they actually supply. you know. And, and unless they're going to pay to seat him somewhere else, which I don't see Ferrari wanting to do, that, that could be the difficulty for Giovinazzi and, and him unfortunately being left out in the wasteland a little while. It's a classic Formula 1 scenario, isn't it? Too many great racing drivers and not enough seats. So when, when are China Racing getting in on this and helping us out with that? I think that's a bit of a pipe dream. Um, uh, there's there's plenty of other teams waiting in the wings, but um, yeah, it, it's not something that uh, is going to come to a fruition immediately, is what I would suggest. Yeah, and I would be on board with, again, you're looking at the next set of regulations and Liberty and Braun having had sufficient time to think through the problem and engineer a proper solution. In the meantime, IndyCar maybe, with Chilton and Rossi and all those other folks, maybe Rosenqvist as well from Formula E. Uh, that That's probably, in terms of uh, the competitiveness of the drivers, uh, the closest that you're going to get. Uh, in terms of open wheel, open cockpit racing. That's a shame. It's always a, a shame to see, uh, you know, really good talent not make it into Formula One just for, for something that's, I don't know, it's quite a silly reason. Yeah, we, oh, we would have you, but there's literally no room at the inn. Uh, so let's uh, move on uh, from that and talk about quite a controversial topic uh, that a lot of people have been up in arms about. Other people have been debating it. Uh, it is, of course, the introduction of the Halo for next season uh and well there, there's a there's a few sides on this um a lot of people aren't happy about it to say the least in fact i've I've never seen more uh gifs on twitter than during this announcement it's a lot of the eye-rolling ones or the one of that bloke from the office yelling no no um but so yeah the fans aren't very happy about it uh and i can maybe understand why because it's not the most aesthetically pleasing uh design but at the end of that that doesn't really matter it's a safety design so so what what, what are our general thoughts matt kick us off right well i would just say uh, i would be in agreement with you with you there in terms of this argument uh, aesthetics are meaningless because we were talking about people and their lives and I'd say that, you know, really the place to look is this statement released by the FIA. And frankly, I know other people bring up other categories and stuff like that, but I don't think that's relevant. We should be focused on Formula One and potentially the junior series that are also run by the FIA. And finally, and I think this is what a lot of people lose sight of, is all things being equal, we cannot let the perfect be the enemy of the good. And in this instance, the FIA makes three claims about about the Halo, and the first of which has to be rated true, which is that it is the most tested of all the potential solutions. And that's absolutely true. Uh, all the drivers have, have, have had a chance to uh, run laps with it at this point uh, relative to any other solution. But we can't ignore the fact that it was Ferrari that was tasked with developing it. And we cannot also ignore, I think as pointed out by Will Buxton, that the only person to test the alternative solution was Vettel, who was also in some hot water with Jean Todd and the FIA not too far ago. And also important to consider that Jean Todd himself, Mr. Road Safety, is currently running for election as president of the FIA yet again. So if Summers wants to bust out his tinfoil hat, this would probably be the appropriate moment to do so. I haven't got one prepared this time, um, but I think Chris was trying to get in. <laughs> well, I, I wanted to talk about the shield a little bit because in sort of static testing, it did seem to be the kind of best um, design because it brought uh, a, a much higher level of, of safety, it seemed. Um, but the comments from Sebastian Vettel after that a very brief run in free practice, and there's a reason that it was so brief, was because they just had to take it off because Seb couldn't drive with it. He said he felt uh, nauseous and dizzy while he was driving it because of the uh the distortion from the from the curvature of the design actually made forward vision worse 
Well, and, and that's an interesting topic. Uh, in poking around on the internet, I found many solutions, including a canopy, a full canopy solution that was tested by the FAA back in 2011. And they tested uh, both a Formula One version of it and a jet fighter canopy. The jet fighter canopy clearly was able to withstand a hit from a full wheel assembly at 220 kilometers an hour, which is what they tested at. But what was interesting is in poking about it a little bit more, looking into what such a thing might weigh, I discovered there are two basic technologies for forming these sorts of things. One of them is laminate, the other one of which is called monolithic. And the later versions of cockpits tend to use the monolithic because they provide superior optics. So the question I would want to know there is exactly how was this cockpit formed? Because you might have some uh, easy answers in terms of making the visibility better for the drivers. But I, I think really the, the issue that we're looking at here is if you look through the FIA statement, they, they list off about five or six different things. Most of them are car over car in Formula One from about 2007 on. And then they throw, they add Surtees into it, which of course was the wheel that came loose from the tether. And then they also mention and this is really baffling, an uh, incident in F3000 from 1995 in which a car landed on top of a wall. And that alone, I think, gives us a clue that they are reaching to find a problem rather than having to find a problem based on research. And as a result, their goals for this are somewhat ill-defined. If we take the Surtees instance, uh, we can say, okay, they're trying to prevent large objects from impacting drivers. And if we look at the halo, clearly this is an effective solution, but there may be other more elegant solutions that are out there that haven't been looked at because the basic problem hasn't been well-defined. And we could even go further if we look, for example, at the four instances they rate since 2007, which if we make it 10 years and 20 races per year would be approximately 400 races. Only in 2% of races have we ever seen that. In the last three years, from 2014 to 16, we've seen five car rollovers, which resulted some in injuries, which kept drivers out of the following Grand Prix. So it looks like what the FIA is focused on is high severity, low probability incidents that involve the intrusion of a car into a cockpit space or the intrusion of a wheel into a cockpit space. And but we're surmising that they haven't stated this outright and we're not getting into the perceived risk by the drivers, which I think is a separate category. And what what strikes me most, again, is because they haven't defined the goal clearly, whether or not this is a successful solution will also be difficult to to define. And we can look at a statement that uh, Lawrence Meckes made back in January where he said even a canopy would be possible. They're waiting to hear what the bosses want. And so if there's a problem with the halo, it's not in its function for what its sort of vaguely stated purpose is. The, the problem is larger in that the FIA is failing to de clearly define a safety problem. And, and they're not starting from a point of looking at all incidents and deciding what is the best way forward. They're looking at what is ostensibly a political problem or a PR problem they anticipate might happen. And, and, and that, to me, is, is really what I feel most strongly about. I took a look at that statement uh, as well, and there were some really interesting sort of statistics um, in it about um, the halo, that it can withstand 15 times the force of the impact of a car uh, coming uh, in, into the, the cockpit space. So we're talking about Spa 2012 um, scenario. Probably Grosjean would have bounced straight off of Alonso's halo in, in that um, situation. And um, there was the other statistic as well that it would have a, a was it a 17% increase in safety in uh, the Massa Spring type scenario, which is a small improvement but an improvement nonetheless and and surely we should be should be taking that uh as you know as a uh, not a permanent solution but a temporary one because safety's never finished like fashion is it it's constantly uh changing and evolving and i'm i'm sure that in 2019 2020 2021 there will be other solutions that have been drawn up because i think what we've we've sort of agreed on in our own um private chats off air 
is that the deadline for this seems to be the biggest issue right now in that the halo is just kind of being taken um so that we can have something rather than nothing yeah and that, that that's the the factor really we're, we're down to a time scale issue um obviously there's been numerous different devices tested by the fia institute going back to sort of 2009 10 11 as matt's already alluded to um but it's the progress of each of those devices that uh, obviously has sparked the halo as the one that should be used because it's the one that's achieved the most in a very short period of test time now obviously we saw things like the arrow screen tested where red bull obviously decided to come along with their own interpretation and we've since seen the shield now those are semi-canopy solutions we've not actually seen the benefits of a full canopy solution as matt alluded to because it was a the test that we've actually been known to be used were a jet fighter um so where I'm at with this, and I've said it before on the show, is that I would have preferred that any of these situations be delayed until the 2021 regulation changes and it be a holistic overview and we look at things from uh, an overview. We don't just simply jump on, on one particular design aspect. And it's sort of like just tacking an item onto the car. Let's actually design the car around the item. Um, and then we would have a, a much safer scenario. Now, I'm not on a downer with the, the halo. I think it's a, a proactive move by uh, the sport to actually look at the safety again. You know, there's been numerous developments down the years, and unless you actually push forward, you 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 do get pushback. So I think it's proactive by the sport to actually in, include it uh, going into 2018. Yeah, and following on the heels of that, it was very clear from uh, our messaging with Bradley Philpot that as a driver who has driven open wheel cars, it's fairly terrifying the the prospect of something like that coming at you and you having absolutely positively no protection. And if the FIA had just said based on driver surveys alone, this is head protection from these sorts of incidents is their number one object, I think they would still be in a much better place because again, going back to 2011, we had a large number of potential solutions available. And it seems like uh, the process has been transparent and the attitude has been very top down. We have decided what the best thing is and you will simply accept it. And in this day and age, and you could even relate it to how Liberty is now running Formula One, it just seems like a tougher sell. People are going to have questions just because of the attitude and process involved, even if the outcome is a correct one. Let's let's talk a little bit of the the technical side uh, of the Halo because when uh, we were doing testing of it last year, there was uh, quite a lot of concern about overheating, and I think Rebels said they couldn't do more than a couple of laps without the car overheating. Um, so, I mean, has that been taken into consideration at all? Have they redesigned the Halo somewhat since, or is it just a problem that the teams are going to have to deal with themselves? Yeah, it's a problem that the teams will have to deal with. It's an engineering challenge at the end of the day. And personally, if I were in charge of a, a, a department, I would have isolated some engineers to put on that challenge because it was inevitable that some kind of um, head protection was going to come into play and it would have an impact on the car design itself. Um, it will have an aerodynamic impact and it will also have a cooling impact, as you mentioned, for the power unit. So, yeah, it's certainly something that will have to be addressed. And I would have apportioned a working group towards that just to get a head start on the rest. And I wouldn't be surprised if other teams haven't too. Because I suppose when you look at it as an aerodynamicist, you must be looking at that and thinking that's not something I want on my car because it doesn't seem like the most streamlined, efficient thing ever bolted onto a Formula One car. So how how do you uh, sort of maybe compensate for that a little? Um, well, it's the same as anything that you're you're faced with in terms of safety structures. You know, not everything in a Formula One car is desirable to to an aerodynamicist, so they have to work around those compromises. And that particular structure is going to cause problems. Um, but it's how they deal with those problems. They will be able to make. Um, changes to their designs in order to accommodate it so we might see um, a certain type of chassis fin uh, that a lot of the teams start to run in terms of being able to move the airflow around um, the, the halo and the impact that that may life is full of what ifs some awesome like what if ai could fold your laundry and some well less awesome like what if you have unexpected medical costs 
United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. ...they have on the rear wing. You know, it's, it, it is a difficult topic when we're, we're looking at airflow structures. So it is, it is going to have an impact. And I, as I said, if you set up a working group in advance of this, you might steal a little bit of a charge on the other teams because you've figured out certain things that they haven't. Okay, well let's let's bring this to a to a close then. Uh, I think we've pretty much agreed that it's something that has to come in. Um, and as much as we maybe don't like the concept I- I itself or the design of it, uh, that there are other options that will inevitably be explored in the future. Yeah, anybody want to just add to that closing thoughts? Yeah, for the low probability event that it covers, it does a very good job. And of the options tested, it was the only one tested thoroughly that meets with the approval of most of the drivers. So from that point of view, there is no argument and there's no denying that should something like that happen in the future, the halo will provide a lot more protection than absolutely nothing at all. So on those grounds alone, we're going to learn to live with it. And hopefully, moving forward, we will find more elegant and better solutions that provide better protection. Excellent. Uh, right. Well, we've warmed up uh, summers. Uh, now we're going to let you, you go free on our next topic because it is uh, engines and the potential return of Cosworth, who, of course, disappeared uh, at the start of the hybrid um, era. But they could be back for 2021 uh, when we get the, the new engine, which is supposedly going to be structured around the same principle of a small uh, V6 engine, but with twin turbos, possibly, and the removal of the MGU-H, which is quite a big thing because it's kind of the worst part of the current engine shall we say it's the most complicated and the maybe least desirable part that the part that's caused most manufacturers uh trouble these past few years so surely that's going to make uh the the sport a, a bit more competitive uh if if the manufacturers have an easier time of it yeah, I mean, I'd argue that the MGU-H isn't the most complicated part of the power units, um, but it is something that um, improves the overall energy efficiency of the power unit. Because obviously everybody just assumes that all the energy that's being created by the MGU-H and the MGU-K is driven into the battery, or the energy store as it should be called. Um, but it's not. They, they share a symbiotic relationship. So energy can transfer between the two units via the, the energy store without actually being stored. And that's where a lot of the difference between the bigger teams and the smaller teams is made up because they're able to manage this energy matrix in a way in which they produce more power. But obviously going forward, sorry, Matt, I think you want to jump in there. I do. The chat room, uh, Evangelos Heteroclitus has asked, wouldn't the removal of MGUH mean turbo lag? And I think that's a reasonable question to ask at this point. 
It, it will do, but obviously we're, we're going to twin turbo as well. So there are some ways in which that they could uh, change that that issue. But I would imagine the way in which that the uh, the engine working group are looking at this is that the MGUK will be given more priority in terms of being able to infill the power difference. So they'll use the MGUK to propel the car whilst the lag is, is there. And will we get more than 161 brake horsepower of kinetic energy um, with that? Because I think that's probably been uh, our biggest kind of want in the new engine. Yeah, I think that we're we're looking at more power from the MG UK. Um, the last step was obviously 80 horsepower. We've doubled that to 160, and I don't see any reason why they shouldn't be looking to double it again and go to 320. I mean, personally, I would let the reins off and let them have their, their, their head at it, and whatever they can make, they can spend, um, would be my personal preference. But as we know, um, the the way in which these these last, letter, last, last set of power units were sk- scheduled, um, you didn't you were reined in you know the energy was very much a a controlled element whether it be the fuel or the electrical energy and what i expect from this next set of power units is that that's going to be the shackles are going to be taken off a little because we're looking at a cheaper engine a more powerful engine and something that's actually got a bit of noise to it because that has obviously been a a huge complaint of the power units Um, so we're going to have to make some wasted energy and to do that, you need a dirty, great big set of turbos um, and a set of pipes that might just blow the diffuser again uh, whilst they're at it. Well, that's more to do with positioning, isn't it? Do you think they could still do blown diffusers with the central exhaust? No, but there's no, there's no mandate at the moment as to where they will place the exhaust. And ah. for me, in terms of the architecture of a twin turbo setup, we might end up with a turbo on either side of the bank. And at that point, then we might end up with a, a different placement of the exhaust. Now, if we're looking at aerodynamic um, introduction and Braun's effort towards changing the way that the, the sport uh, runs aerodynamically, we might look at exhaust blown diffuser technology again in a way that enhances what's going on maybe a smaller uh, diffuser and reducing the size of the diffuser but if it's blowing it creates the same amount of downforce so it might be something that the technical working group are looking at and i hope that the engine working group and the technical working group on the aero side are looking at these sort of things to to try to improve the show and obviously uh the, the sound etc Right. So if Cosworth and or Ilian do come back, um, who exactly are they selling engines to? Because we were already talking about Sauber being the only open question, maybe McLaren. But I mean, is it how can they make their money back if they have one customer? Because I don't think that's possible. Yeah, well, this is my argument with with an an open engine sort of formula is is that you're inevitably asking um, the the books to be balanced. And the reason that Cosworth didn't go into the 2014 hybrid era is because they didn't have a customer to work with. They had a design on, on, on the on the board, but they didn't have anybody backing them. Um, and they struggled throughout the, the time that they were in Formula One with a V8 um, in terms of being able to produce something that was um, relative to the other manufacturers out there. We saw the likes of Caterham switch into uh, a Renault power unit midway through their agreement with Cosworth. And then Marussia had to um, basically shall we say, partly fund uh, the blown diffuser technology that was going on with Cosworth. So, yeah, it's a very difficult ecosystem, as we're aware, in terms of the funding of these things. And to have so many manufacturers on board might be problematic unless we get some more teams on board as well. Because I suppose it went Cosworth before you had teams like uh, Mauricio and and Caterham and, and, and whatnot, and we're sort of lacking that now, really the only independent teams that aren't linked up to, to manufacturers so say like Toro Rosso and, and and stuff like that you know you've got Sauber um, maybe Williams if Cosworth can produce a, a Mercedes beater um, which sounds ridiculous but with a brand new set of regulations I suppose anything's possible yeah and Williams have partnered with Cosworth in the past it wouldn't be a surprise for them to, to head in that direction and obviously we talked about Ilmore and and uh, Ilian being on board and wanting to to produce an engine, and we know the work that he's done with Red Bull in the past. So is this the case of Renault finally becoming a de facto works team and not supplying anybody else, much like Ferrari could be, or indeed Mercedes? And then we see a lot of independence taking on the other engine manufacturers. So we, perhaps we see an Ilian branded 
uh, Aston Martin engine, Tag Heuer powered engine that's created by Lian and used by the Red Bull two teams. Um, and then Cosworth supplies everybody else. It's an interesting time. The the Red Bull Racing Tag Heuer line, that's already too long on the Constructors' Championship line. I imagine if they end up going for that, they'll have to they'll have to do some sort of initialing because that's that's far um, too long. Um so we'll move away from from engines um for now and come back to the present uh, because Red Bull have been coming up with uh some some nice designs it seems and they've come up with some last minute changes. Uh, didn't they at Silverstone? Yeah, well, they introduced a new wing back in Austria, a new front wing, uh, which introduced a slot into the end plate, um, and they redesigned some of the outer elements. Now, at Silverstone, that was chucked in the parts bin, and another new front wing appeared. Now, strange as it might seem, uh, because think of all that that development that you, you've got going on, um, we, we've got a situation where... They, they want to improve things not only at the front wing, but down the rest of the car as well. And now that Mr. Nui is back on board, uh, almost full time, um, it appears that they're going down a very Nui sort of approach. Uh, we're seeing uh, developments that are very minute. He tends to follow that pattern. The barge boards that they introduced in Spain, I would suggest were part of uh, Adrian's uh, development process and we've seen further three iterations of, of those barge boards just simply changing geometries of surfaces to improve the airflow around that, that section of the car. Now this front wing that was introduced in Silverstone is actually um, I would suggest might open up a bit of warfare going into the rest of the season um, in terms of that it's suggested that the foot plate might be a bit flexible um, and might cause the other teams to suggest it is. But they're all flexible to some extent, aren't they? Uh, but this was a very lurid picture, was it not, Mr. Summers? It was. And I've done some investigation since uh, frame by frame analysis of, of uh, some of the, the Red Bull um, at Silverstone. And yeah, you can actually see that the foot plate sort of detaches itself from the rest of the wing uh, or from the end plate itself. So obviously, if we just take a step back and remember what was happening in sort of 2010 to 2012 with the front wings, they were flexing them at the outboard section in order to enhance the vortex that is created in that region and it help the, the wing in its entirety. But what that also does is have an impact further downstream on the car. So if you imagine the car in, in pitch, so it's moving backwards and forwards as you're braking or accelerating, the aerodynamics actually change. So what you want to do is try and widen that window in terms of how much downforce you can create. And what essentially we might be seeing here is if this foot plate and the rear part of the wing does droop, um, it may enable that to happen and it changes the entire design of the car effectively allows it to operate over a, a wider operating window and creates more downforce effectively so yet another time where adrian's looked at the rules having obviously stepped back in from a little sabbatical and come up with something very similar that he's used before but to suit the regulations now and it's intriguing that that adrian has looked at something and come up with something so quickly if that's is actually the case that's typical new isn't it just push the limits of the regulations to the absolute uh, crucial point uh williams they've been struggling a little bit is it correlation issues that they've been struggling with matching up that data from the track to the wind tunnel yeah well they've kind of got lost around this same sort of time last season if you remember they introduced a new front wing in 2016 around austria um, and they really struggled with it um they actually went back to back at hungary last year where they went back to their v1 specification back to race one um, because they were so just lost at sea they didn't understand why the performance had just simply dropped away and unfortunately for williams they, they always tend to find themselves in trouble with the tires as well and the way in which that they operate them when they have a new specification of car now the update that they took to canada both drivers uh, tried back-to-back -back testing at silverstone again and lance stroll ran the whole setup yet Massa didn't run the uh, deflectors that run around the outside of the side pod. And both drivers were struggling with balance. Um, and, and again, I find it that they've just bought something that just simply doesn't offer the numbers that they expected it to offer, um, just much like they did last season. So 
clearly they have some some issues going on at the team um, in terms of the way in which that they understand the data that's coming out of their CFD and wind tunnel compared to real life. Um, and I hope that obviously that the team there and obviously now they've got Paddy on board and uh, taking some changes behind the scenes in the aero department, perhaps they can get on top of that sort of thing. And uh, and lastly, Renault, they brought a new uh, floor to Silverstone and the Renault performed wonderfully uh, during that race, uh, well, the whole weekend even. Uh, but uh, they say that it's the first of, of many upgrades to come. So so this is this is good for them, surely. Yeah, well, we can say that the Renault performed well in one driver's hands because the other driver didn't make it to the start of the race, if I remember rightly. Well, he didn't have the floor, did he? It was only on Hulkenberg's car. He didn't have the floor, no, although he did test it. Um, he did have it through f- some of the free practice sessions. Um, but it wasn't the only part that they had there. Obviously, everybody's talking about the floor um, because it's the, a major part, but they had a few other smaller alterations to the car as well. And I, I'm, in, I'm interested in what's going on at Renault because if we remember the amount of um, infrastructure that they lost during the Lotus period in terms of resource, um, personnel, etc. And now they're, they've gone through the growing pain stage. They've sort of opened the team up to, to take on more people again. And hopefully they're, they're getting themselves back into a better position. And they seem to be getting back into to a results sort of situation where the likes of Nico Hawkenberg can score some decent points for them as well. Yeah, absolutely. So Summers, tell us, what have you been up to yourself uh lately anything exciting on the horizon uh there's always stuff exciting on the horizon isn't there um obviously the red bull thing um uh, i'm probably going to have an article out on that shortly um but yeah it's just the usual things for motorsport working with the the great that is Giorgio piola is always a treat so yeah uh, it's it's an exciting time for for myself and is that on summersf1.co.uk no, that'll be mainly for motorsport.com, but there will be the occasional piece over on Summers F1. I'm starting to, to put some effort back in over there on the blog. Um, it did fall away to the wayside a bit because of some personal issues in my life, but obviously, uh, yeah, I'm going to try and put things right over there as well shortly. And where can we catch you on Twitter? Uh, well, that would be Summers F1, um, which is S-O-M-E-R-S-F1. Yes, and uh, while you're at it, follow the show as well at Mist Apex uh, F1. Uh, now, Matt, this show is up for an award. We're going for an award, which is very, uh, very exciting. It's the Podcasting uh, Awards, and we are in the sports uh, category. Uh, and you can go and uh, vote for us, nominate us uh, to get into the is it the the top ten we're aiming for? Uh, not that I was about to say the top 100, which wouldn't have sounded anywhere near as impressive. But yeah, so we're trying to get into the top 10, uh, who are then put forward to uh, a panel and uh, a various process goes through about who they think um, is the best. But if we can just make it into the top 10, then that would be just simply um, astonishing. And you can do that at uh, www.podcastawards.com. Uh, we've also uh, got a karting event coming up. Uh, as well at uh, Daytona in Milton Keynes on Saturday, August the 12th. Uh, there's no Formula One that weekend, so don't worry. You won't be missing out on uh, anything. Uh, so if you're interested in uh, doing that, then uh, hit up Spanners Ready on Twitter. Uh, so that, that that should be really exciting. You get to race uh, people people like us. I mean, I hopefully um, we'll be going, but Spanners will be there. Uh, there'll be a few other people from the show. I think Alex is going. Um, so that will be uh, really good. I think it'll be, that'll be really, really fun to uh, uh, to, to do. Um, so, Summers, let's come back to you for a couple more topics before we move on to the Hungarian Grand Prix preview. Uh, Mercedes gearbox penalties. I've had a couple of them uh, recently. Uh, apparently caused by aggressive seamless shift issues. Um, but uh, apparently there's a little bit more to this story. <laughs> Isn't there always a bit more to these stories? Oh, well, we hope so, because otherwise people like us, we get bored. <laughs> well, yeah, the, the the team have actually come out and said that the, they pushed too aggressively in terms of the way in which they were operating their seamless shift. So it's all about the way in which the, the, the gears engage. So you, you have them um, basically running in sequence with one another. But from a perspective of 
being pushed so hard by Ferrari in the opening part of this season, they obviously decided to push that little bit harder. Um, but what I find interesting as well is that there is some word on the street that many of the teams were preheating the oil in their hydraulic dampers um, in part Ferme. Uh, now, obviously, this has come to the attention of the FIA or to the, the race stewards and Charlie Whiting. And it's believed that that practice was supposed to stop around Baku. Now, where did the Mercedes engine panel, uh, gearbox penalty start for Lewis Hamilton, may we ask? And where would the hydraulic damper be located around um, at the back of the Mercedes? So if one was to put two and two together, they may add up to four. <laughs> yeah, so you're basically saying they were using the gearbox, which they're allowed to heat up as much as they like, to heat up this uh, hydraulic oil in the dampers which helps them uh, in the race achieve a more consistent ride height. Exactly, that's it, Matt. So it's all about pitch control front to rear. Um, and it was part of the problem that they had at the start of the season when the rules were changed, or shall we say the technical directive was issued to stop the teams from being able to have such control over these uh, pitch-sensitive um, hydraulic dampers. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's all part and parcel to, the, to do with that. Um, and surprisingly, Andrew Green from Force India actually came out with a, a statement in regards to all of this and kind of just laid it out there and said, yeah, we, we were doing it. We were we were heating these elements. So but what the FIA have said is that these can now no longer be heated independently on the way to the grid with, with warmers, etc. But obviously they can't stop them doing this vicariously through component heat from other sources, um, such as the gearboxes, etc. Okay, and uh, maybe just a quick word on tyres to ease us into the Hungarian Grand Prix preview, uh, because it's 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 quite tough on tyres. Is is Hungary? There's a lot of traction uh, zone. So are we thinking rear limited, or does that middle sector take it take its toll on the fronts as well? Is it slightly balanced? What should we be looking out for? Well, I think we need to look out for wear, really, especially based on what we saw at Silverstone, although obviously that was very much an isolated incident, if we were to believe uh, what we've read regarding the Pirelli statement and obviously Ferrari's silence um, over the, the blistering that we saw at Silverstone. Um, obviously, it was almost just a, a Ferrari situation, but we do know that Max was pitted around the same sort of time and was pointed to the fact that they may also be suffering from this situation. And Matt alluded to this problem earlier. Um, in terms of the high tyre pressures that we've been seeing this season, and that could exacerbate the situation we've seen with blistering, especially at a high-load circuit like Silverstone. OK, Matt, we're going into Hungary, which is a circuit that Lewis Hamilton very much uh, likes. And given the form he's been on recently, he's been... He's been going quite well, um, you know, himself. Uh, but Hungary is, uh, you know, it's got a lot of traction zones. We saw in Austria that the Ferrari had the edge on the Mercedes, you know, on corner exit in qualifying. And there aren't as many straights for the Mercedes engine to stretch its legs. So this should be quite an interesting battle then, really. Yeah, I think looking at it uh, from my point of view, you're looking at a a racetrack where Mercedes uh, long wheelbase chassis is going to be taking one for the team relative to the Ferrari, which will be much more in its element. Now we know that Vettel runs reasonably well at Hungary and we know that Hamilton tends to be just like mental at the track. So I think you've got everything you need for just a battle Royale, um, throwing a little unpredictable weather and everyone will be happy. And Matt, while we're talking to you, what are you going to plug uh, this week? What are you selling? Uh, I would just say, uh, as always, my wife's books, please, at A Weaver Writes on Twitter, go buy her books, make her a happy, happy person, because her being happy lets me be on the show, show as often as I like. And you can, of course, always follow me at MattPT55 on the Twitters. And soon, 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 I promise I will have a project worthy of funding. And of course, you can also find me at C Stevens underscore journo on Twitter, uh, my work as well at formulaspy.com. And you and me, Matt, we've got e-radio uh, to be doing uh, tomorrow in preparation for the Montreal finale. 
Indeed, and I am counting on you, my reporter friend, to unpack the mystery incident between Buemi and Degrassi that was alluded to but not explained. Oh, they won't tell me anything. <laughs> they, I, I'm pretty sure they, they stop smiling and start running away at the first uh, sight of me. Uh, so, uh, does anyone have a wild prediction uh, before we go? Maybe, may, maybe the chat room's got one, Matt. What do they think is going to be happening in Hungary? Um, I don't know. They're busy complaining about underscore people. Hey, the underscore is valid. All right. I'm scrolling back through the. I'm scrolling back through the chat right now. But they, of course, lag us lately. Um, so they are not up to predictions yet. But I'll give you one. Uh, Verstappen for the win. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, Summers. Could Red Bull get the the, the best result here? Perhaps. I think so. Um, and I'll raise you. Ricardo for the win um, because yeah I, the Aussie is uh, he's, he's in the groove let's say and unfortunately for Max he's had some some difficult races hasn't he where he's uh, picked up some unreliability issues so yeah I, I, I'd spin for the Aussie on, on, on out of the two one of course in 2014 that crazy crazy wet dry race that was a that was really cool and I there's a stat I came across um, during the week that Whoever wins the Hungarian Grand Prix since 2005 has not gone on to win the championship. So maybe this is one that some of the guys might want to avoid winning uh, if the statistics are on their side. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll be talking about all that in our Hungarian Grand Prix race review show uh, next Sunday. Uh, in the meantime, you can stay tuned on our feed for Tech Time at Inside F1 with Joe Saywood, some Wafflecast, a sports bet preview, and then, of course, the Hungarian Grand Prix race review show. But until then, just remember that while wounds may heal, chicks don't necessarily dig scars and glory only lasts for about five minutes. This was Missed Apex Podcast. And in true traditional Spanners fashion, let's do comment of the week after the outro music has played. Matt, have you got one for us? Hang on. Let me go. All right. Starting from the top, we have Jeff Lofton. Something interesting out of tire testing, joke of the year. Evangelo Ceteraclitis, the McLaren breakthrough is like the explanation of lost, always, quote, coming. <laughs> Mr. Lofton, again, I think Nazar's problem is not enough Nazar. Um, Josh Covey says, Totes got a fever and the only prescription is more halo. Uh, Bahamutiamat. Oh my God, Summers is a Lewis fan. Check the chain out. He's given up on aerodynamics for a rap career. <laughs> so has so has Lewis Hamilton on his new hairdo. Have you noticed? Indeed. Crisscrosser maker. <laughs> uh, Joshua Clare says F1 could move from Heineken sponsorship to Havianas for next season, which I'll be honest, I don't get. Michael Howland, you must use a prime and option halo in each race which might be a winner. Also, Mr. Holland says, I don't know. An F1 engine takes a lot to make. Is it cause worth it? Oh, that's which, it. Which, okay. All right. Well, we'll run through the rest. Uh, Rorade McKay says, giant turbos, curves boost in flames for days on the overrun. Darren Johnson knew he's been designing boats. Will Red Bull now sign Ericsson? I, I don't know. And Felix Bolin lost at sea. Ericsson might have answers. And his prediction for Hungary, Alonso will complain. That's a solid oh, oh, shout. Oh. I'd say oh, that's, oh. A, that's a safe bet. Carlos could be put in that box at the moment as well. <laughs> he, uh, he could indeed be put in that box. I don't know. That's, that's a toughie right there. Okay, so which one gets it, Matt? Which one takes the cake? You're going to make me decide, aren't you, you course i am because we're a safer work show absolutely positively i'm going to go for the one that nobody liked but me giant turbos curves boost and flames for days on the overrun because i want to see that raid mckay congratulations you have won today's comment of the week and there it was comment of the week 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.